0: Welcome to the I Was Bored stream. I'm sitting down with my friend, in the 20th century, who has been on before. Definitely take that one out. Anyway, man, how you doing?
1: Hey, uh, I'm glad to be back on. Um, I, I really do like going on other people's shows uh, just to talk because I try to approach my show as uh, putting myself on the back burner. And letting the guests talk, so I like uh, sometimes having the opportunity to talk myself because uh, there's some things I like to have discussions about. So absolutely,
0: I that. I, I love getting invited to podcasts because it's like I can just show up. I don't have to like read a whole book beforehand. I just have to show up, but it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Your podcast is great. You have on a lot of ah uh, academics.
0: I, I mean, I don't know academics. Right? What would you say? Because they're all like scholarly type people. I would
1: say. Yeah, I try to create a criteria for who I have on my guests. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want people who have made real contributions, um, to some field, uh, whether it be an academic field. Or um, the political field, um, for example, one of one of my guests in the next coming weeks will be Jeremy Kaufman, who's running for Senate in New Hampshire and has been a big figure and uh, driving force in the Free State Project. Um, but you know, like people I've had before are mostly economists or people who contribute to academic things. Like Pete was formerly of the yeah. Libertarian Institute and he's written books himself. Uh, you and I if they've like, written a book, it's a good uh good martial. You, you and I have
0: like an opposite approach because I, I would like one of my talking with people, but I wanted to get the everyday guy to read academic books and kind of have a, a place for like regular conversations. So you and I have a very similar podcast book, so it's just we take it in the opposite direction, which I find really interesting.
1: Sure, yeah. I I actually I love watching how um the layman, so to speak, uh talks about various topics. Um, it's just, I think there's plenty of avenues for laymen and I didn't want to, you know, encroach on those, um, because there are people I think who do it better. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, take a, an approach of really interviewing people who have made some real contributions to various fields. Um, you know, like, uh, an episode that will be coming out next Saturday, um, not tomorrow, uh, is with David Friedman and, you know. Very, uh, yeah, I felt I felt a little out of my depth because um, <laughs> I hadn't read anything by David Friedman recently, except for I, I, I skimmed his article on Austrians um, beforehand while I was at work and somewhat watched his debate with Walter Block. But uh, I think he had interesting things to say. I
0: don't know, I
1: don't know the debate happened, yeah, no, I, I highly suggest watching it. I mean, um. Based on what I saw, though, I think Walter Block definitely won that debate. Uh, even though David Friedman has interesting critiques of the Austrian school, um, I think a lot of it is though in in that he is also in addition to being an economist, he's a physicist. Um, so he's very much a like. I hate I hate saying that there we have certainty of things. I like saying that we we're uncertain about things because really in the fields of science we are very uncertain. About most yeah. things, um, especially physics. Uh, yeah. In fact, physics is very paradoxical most of the time because we've gotten really good at about telling people uh, what's happening, but not why it's happening. Yeah. Um, we still can't do that for a lot of stuff in yeah. physics.
0: I, there's a lot of um, this is photos. I saw me was in there was a it was a CDI drawing of a how cell would be producing something. And someone said, keep in mind, all modern science is CGI. <laughs> <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> yeah. Which
1: I'm saying is not 100% correct, but it's a fun
0: little it's – it's a window into what's happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, people like to think science is a invaluable thing. And it really isn't, by definition, an invaluable thing. Um, and it's an ever-changing thing. So the, the CGI analogy is really good. Um especially with the way that CGI has developed uh, over the years. I we all see I started that faked the moon landing,
0: like that's just uh a known
1: Yeah, that's a, that is a confirmed uh 100%. That is that is one of the things we are certain about in life oh, yeah, is so that know the moon landing was faked. I um, That's
0: have a guy coming on in a few weeks to come on and just cuz I really don't care about like most conspiracy theories about moon landing and dinosaurs, I could care less about and so it's fun I like to it. it's, like, it's true, it's true, if it's not true, it's not true. I'm not in any of those fields, so I don't care. But it's mm-hmm. fun to hear the arguments for why those things aren't real. And so I'm gonna have a few weeks to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I saw an interesting argument that, that those kind of conspiracy theories are really like psyops, like mm. that the um the state invented them. As a way to like discredit the idea of conspiracy theories and, and discredit people who are skeptical that of uh, modern na- of like the the mainstream narrative, mm-hmm. um, which I think is somewhat is pretty compelling considering what we know about the word conspiracy theory in yeah. general and that it came into popular vernacular because of of memos from the CIA uh, <laughs> to journalists of all things. Um, so, the uh
0: has that same take about conspiracy theories being psyops or about Alex Jones, I think. I think I saw some of Alex Jones take is that he is a Psyop. Which um I guess that's one way to discredit that's, that's a weird way to try to dis- has liberal discredit the ways of discrediting people go, that's a weird one. Like, I actually kinda of respect it. If like, you do have to discredit Alex Jones, you're not gonna compete he's crazy for us. You can't beat him on his backs. But if he's trying yeah. to convince the right wing people he's just there to actually be a psyop, that's that's pretty
1: convincing. <laughs> yeah, as a as a former well, I shouldn't say former because I still like Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm not like a I don't watch Alex Jones like I used to when I was in high school. Yeah, I think um, definitely- but you know that that is probably more convincing to his fans than saying you know oh he well he lied about Sandy Hook or he lied about whatever um is saying that he is a high off. like oh no Oh, news guy
0: lie that's, that's all they all do it's like it's not like convincing uh a... no guy is a weird one because as left-wing people go he's i could stomach him more than i could stomach other people you know what i'm saying it's yeah i, like I mean like, I could stomach him.
1: so um i have a very interesting political journey in in when I was in uh, middle school and early high school, I was a leftist um, by all accounts. In fact, I called myself a Maoist. Um, and I "Why I,
0: Maoist as opposed to other kinds of uh, Marxism?" Type so thing.
1: the reason was because um, I was—I still am—a big avid um, consumer of history. But at the time, I started consuming uh, books about Mao. Um, I was watching videos about Mao. And I was like, man, this guy seems really cool. <laughs> um, he, he, his ideology must be cool too. And you what happens I, to White Wing Boat and Hitler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, so and at the time, I had very left-wing inclinations because, you know, I was a middle schooler and um, going into high school. And I was like yeah, it would be great if everybody was paid for the same, uh, paid the same amount. And if everyone was equal and stuff, and I was like, and l- look, there's this guy in China who did it. His name's Bao Zedong. He, he totally, uh, you know, achieved this society. And, um, but eventually, um, I realized that that was all bull crap and uh, total nonsense. But, you know, in that period of time, uh, I was also a militant atheist. And so I got around to Kyle Kalinske. Uh, I watched Kyle Kalinske um, pretty regularly. Um, I found his channel actually, ironically, through Amazing Atheist, who was someone I watched a lot, too, when I was younger. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think Kyle is somebody who very much examines the, bro- uh, the broken clocks or t- right twice a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a really, really good take on the um Canadian trucker situation recently. And he's good
0: on war stuff I've noticed. like he's pretty good on like I think him and Dave Smith should have a really good conversation. He
1: yeah, he um he's been pretty consistent on war. Um, <laughs> actually, I think he's gotten flack from I think they're his former employers now, um, the young Turks for that because you know the young Turks are very flip floppy on war. Um, like it. a lot of progressives. <laughs> Yeah. And, but yeah, Kyle, Kyle has, you know, some decent takes. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, he is so wrapped up in the progressive ideological bubble yeah. that he, he, you know, there is no escape from, there is no hope for him kind of thing. I actually um, was just talking about
0: that whole bubble. In my podcast before this one, we talked about how the liberal syndrome, as Burnham calls it, people who are stuck into it. Like even people like Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein who literally had their works crossed and stolen by academics and in, in the, in the in institutions, and they still defend it's the institutions.
1: I think a big part of it is is when you live in a city, it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you It's being left wing or die kind of thing <laughs> um, because every institution is left wing and the way that cities are set up are designed to create left-wingers essentially because um, by sheer fact of that there is this immense population density uh, it is impossible to know everyone in your community is impossible to have a real meaningful connection with your community and um, these things create progressive ideology and create progressive mindsets further than that as well it also creates horrible conditions and bad conditions can cre- create progressives a lot yeah isn't uh, that
0: the thing like me just said a minute ago over- interventionism like you intervene to government you don't intervene it gets worse so they forget intervene some more
1: yeah um actually uh, my favorite thing to poke out from that um i also bring out when you know The usual suspects are like Mises was very left wing, actually, uh, on social issues issues. is um, Mises uh, accusing Adolf Hitler of being a homosexual because he was in public housing and public housing does create progressive ideologies and and, uh, progressive mindsets. Mm -hmm. So he he was pretty right on that, especially what we know about the Nazis now and their um, rather (laughs) degenerate behavior in the higher ups. (laughs) um,
0: and, um uh, i I'm reading I'm re- I'm re- socialism now because I'm trying to get a uh, thomas to into the come on <laughs> he's scheduled and he uh i don't know he missed my email so uh he missed a reminder email to come on which sucks but I'm gonna try again because I want to talk to him about socialism
1: yeah De D- is great I met Di lorenzo uh this last Mises U. I um I knew about Di Lorenzo though bef- um for a while before that uh because of one of my professors in my undergrad, I my first year of undergrad was at Georgia Mason university mm-hmm. and there's nice. a professor there named Thomas Ristisi, who used to be really big with, you know, in, in the Mises universe, uh, Mises Institute circles, but some personal beef that I don't know all the details of and are honestly pretty irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, kind of distance himself, but he still talks to several people. And one of those people is DiLorenzo and he actually assigned as a required reading, a DiLorenzo article on monopolies that is really, really great. Um, It's called competition except for when, uh, or competition except for when prohibited by law. I really suggest reading it. It's a really good one and talks about uh, the problem with trust antitrust laws and how they actually uh, de-incentivize competition, not incentivize it. Um, it also has a lot of good commentary on the Gilded Age and stuff. But yeah, I, I knew about him from that, and then when I met him, he's a great guy. Um, I like to say he's the most based boomer, because he has Absolutely. really he's really boomer talking points when he's going- He's hilarious. In. He's a but,
0: he's boomer humor. I mean, there's a- the environmental communists are watermelons <laughs> because great. Yeah. I mean, I he's like he's a big people. I listen, I, I put on his podcast, I little a one Windows podcast with Pete Canonas on the World Economic Forum for my dad. I woke the other day, and my dad was loving it because he doesn't, which is why he's great.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, he, he knows how to ap- um, appeal to that demographic, um, because he is that demographic, but um. He is a smart guy, though. A, a lot of people were giving him a lot of crap uh, at Mises U because uh, because of one of his lectures. They were like, "Oh, it wasn't very good. It was kind of was ranty." But I, you know, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, which you can go watch it, it on the Mises Institute's channel and all there. Um, all their Mises U lectures are on When there. they were live, because last time
0: I was at work the entire week and I had, I had life and going at work the entire Oh, night. yeah.
1: Like I, just, wow. I was like, I'm not, I
0: couldn't go. I'm not missing this.
1: Well, if you watch um, some of the panels, you'll get to see me ask a few questions. Uh, nice. So, um, but I'm hoping to go there again this year. Uh, Mises U is a really great experience and I highly suggest that. Um, Even if you're not uh, in the field of economics, which is not a requirement, nor is it completely just about economics, it's skewed that way to a big for most of the or a good portion of the lectures. But there were plenty of people who were not economics majors or even that super interested in economics who went and had amazing time. Um, One guy I, I met on the shuttle on the way there, I mean, he was an architect major. But he, he's probably one of the guys who got the most out of that experience. Um, so, you know, if you have the opportunity to do it, if you're still a university student, you are really missing out if you don't try to go at least once. I'm
0: not, I I probably won't go to that anymore. I'm not going to college. Uh, this is actually why I started a podcast is because I don't like college. I gone to it every single teacher I had. And I'm like, you know what? I can just do a podcast and have on-spot people instead. And so yeah, so I think that was my, that was my vow. Cause I, I think people who are in who cars now, I'm like, Lord, be I can't do it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that is a very fair, um, mindset to have about college as somebody who is currently in it and, uh, just counting down the years until I'm done with it. Um, it is very much, uh, most of the time useless experience, I think. Um, you're really paying for stuff that you can get elsewhere, but you have to get it there because of the way the current system exists. Um, Someone's book who I always suggest is a former professor of mine. And the guy who actually got me into anarcho-capitalism in the first place, uh, Brian Kaplan, Mm. is the case against education. Really, really good book about how really... Education as it is built today is a signaling device. It is not something that actually gives you real skills. It's something that you use to tell employers that you're conscientious, um, that you show up, and you can do basic tasks. And the more education you get, the more you're showing those things. Uh, But you're not really actually getting these skills most of the time. Uh, there's a few fields that are exceptions, but these are the academic fields, which are not the vast majority of people. Uh, the vast majority of people are in things like business or accounting or all these other kind of things where really you could replace it with, you know, an apprenticeship for example um, or, or trade school or something like that, where you actually are learning these skills. And he argues this, that the, the Education as it is is a whole problem. I now, download the
0: PDF because that sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a really good book. Um, it's one of the first libertarian books I actually read. We're gonna
0: have my, a podcast on that one.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I really, really like it a lot. I've, <laughs> I've actually done multiple presentations in multiple different classes on it. Um, just whenever I can <laughs> hand fist it in, I do. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's um, definitely one of those books that if a person can actually digest it, it it's it knocks a few other dominoes out, um, and it 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 helped me get to where I am now. Now I I, I have my criticisms of Brian Kaplan uh, yeah. for sure. Isn't he an open borders
0: guy? I yeah. Don't, I don't, so I don't know what's wrong but
1: Yeah, so he wrote a book called Open Borders. um, Great title. Yeah, and it talks about Open Borders and how um, he thinks it's preferable, all the uh, standard economic arguments, and he's had a debate with another GMU professor uh, named Garrett Jones, which I also suggest checking out that debate, and Garrett Jones himself, um, because he's an interesting guy, Uh, but you know, a lot of people skew Kaplan to be super, super left wing, uh, but this isn't the case. You would think so because he's four open borders, but I can assure you he's not. As someone who's been to his house, <laughs> uh, he's got, you know, the... Traditional medieval banners hang up. He's a collector of of Western history. He's a a big admirer of Western history. He has a big family himself. He actually wrote a book called Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. And basically the whole book is arguing. Every book you've mentioned, I'm adding to my reading list. (laughs) He's all great. (laughs) Yeah, no, Kaplan's a great guy. He's not perfect on everything, but I will defend him uh against against the hordes of people who are like, well I saw open borders, uh so he must be a leftist. And it's like, <laughs> no. He's just got one bad left wing opinion. Uh but I promise it's, you really and it's right for economic reasons.
0: I mean if you're gonna have an argument with open borders, economic reasons are the only acceptable one, I guess like I guess you could say. I mean I'm not I don't think really it's a great argument I'm still not open borders, but
1: yeah he's also... go. He's also someone So most open borders people dismiss concerns about culture and um, cultural things. He is not that way at all. In fact, some people, when they see him argue about that, they accuse him of being in favor of an apartheid state um, because he really he understands these criticisms and he wants to address them. I don't think he sufficiently addresses them. But he he attempts to. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend like it's not a problem. Um, so I, I have to give him a lot of credit. Unfortunately, he doesn't do it in his book Open Borders. His book Open Borders is all the economics arguments, which most people have heard a million times before, and they're either convinced or they're not. And, you know, you're not I, I don't think he was convincing anybody by writing open borders, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um so back
0: to being a of Maoist in middle school. Let me ask you a quick question about that. Because some people, some comments say Maoists aren't Marxist. Because Mao added things to mix it with the uh, Chinese, Chinese religion ideology. What's your do you have a take on that? Or are you kind of too young to really notice the differences?
1: So at the time I didn't notice the differences. But going back, um, I definitely noticed the difference. Because... Mm-hmm. Um, Mao wanted to preserve some Chinese cultural institutions, and that's what really set a difference between um, him and and the Marxist schools of thought before him. Uh, He he was, in some ways, a traditionalist, Um, and so I think there is some value in Mao over other Marxist schools of thought uh, because of that. Now, that doesn't make Maoism a good ideology or anything. In fact, it's uh, probably one of the worst of the communist ideologies for a number of reasons. But there is something there. There is meat there uh, versus someone like Kropkin who is just a, a whiny... Uh, child complaining about the problems of the world and saying how my utopian vision can solve it. I think a lot of people forget that besides Marx and people like Kropkin, a lot of communists were realists. They just were wrong. <laughs> they, they were just <laughs> wrong about things. Um, and they th- that gives them actual weight and valid insight into things mm-hmm. that we really should consider and make their works worth reading. Uh, I mean, I'm a big proponent of reading Lenin, um, particularly because I think it's important to read the works of people who actually achieved things. So, you know, Lenin achieved something. Um, Nicola Machiavelli achieved something. Hitler achieved something. Mussolini achieved something. All these people achieved something. They all had, pretty terrible ideologies except for, you know, Machiavelli is it's arguable um, but they all had pretty bad ideas on how to fix society uh, but they had really good ideas on how to achieve them They and they did achieve them yeah. so I think it's important to kind of look back at their works, see what they did and see how we can replicate that without losing our ideology in the process If
0: anybody listening wants to listen to some stuff from them, uh, Pete Canones and bird artists have a great series when they read different Marxist work. Um, I think I I I saw. i like I saw about. It, I saw about it listening. To it, i was like that sounds really stupid, the Communists gave it a try. I couldn't stop. I listened to Marx' lives. They are ridiculously good. And it's amazing how much things um, you can kind of read. Like since it was, since Marxism and communism kind of like was the defining ideology for a lot of for, for a long time. Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of Austrian stuff, I feel like, is kind of born out of, a, out, out of a born out of retaliation to that in some ways. And so I like think a lot of like Austrian civil is like, born out of the retaliation to that. So understanding that, if only about understanding what Austrian stuff is responding to, is valuable. Like, there's a lot of good reasons to read communist uh, authors, even if the you know wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, I. So what put um, particularly Lenin on my radar was um, there was a club at George Mason University, uh, and ironically, when I was president of the Young Americans for Liberty chapter there, uh, which I have plenty of thoughts on that too. Uh, if you wanted to go into that later, I would like to go into that later. Yes, yeah, but um, one of the one of the clubs that was ironically the closest to us was a club called. The platypus society which is a marxist organization um somewhat of the trotsky i uh, um line but the trotskyites that didn't become neocons uh <laughs> and you know i would attend their meetings and their whole meetings were just reading different works by different marxists uh particularly lenin and i was fascinated by it and i was interested by it and i really connected with the works and the president. Uh, who I still consider a friend. Um, you know, he's the one who said, read State and Revolution by Lenin. It's really good. And I was like, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. I read it and I loved it. And it's yeah. one it's very up there for books that I love. Um and yeah, yeah
0: I, he, I I'm sorry the guy out here is two favorite books of how democracy God just fair and state and revolution by Lenin.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I sure mean the guy exists and
0: I completely understand where he's coming from.
1: Yeah. I mean they're they're great. They're both great books, and they had there's, um, democracy. The God that had failed has what State and Revolution is missing, and State and Revolution has what God, uh, democracy. The God that failed is mi- uh, missing. So I think they're really good companion books, honestly, um, in a lot of ways. But um, yeah. So you know, we were completely alienated from other clubs on campus uh including college republicans and so we found a lot of like common ground with them and even planned to do events with them and they were cool they were cool people and i suggest I looking up horseshoe. their news <laughs> yeah it, it it was it was I, I we did get accused of horseshoe theory because we were allied with them um but yeah no they they're, they're cool guys um that's like I, I, I know people say we need to have like a new job society well, honestly, we can
0: get like a Mises Institute kind of young guys. mixed was like a, you know, Trotsky communist group. I have like do a new zombie society between those. That can be a lot of fun, too.
1: Like, I yeah. I those
0: in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah. Well, something particularly I was always thought was interesting about um, Platypus Society. is Their motto is the left is dead. Long live the left. Um, <laughs> and what they mean by that is true leftism is dead. It's gone does not exist in this country um and they're right um the left that we have now are essentially controlled opposition for Mm -hmm. the current regime um they don't realize it but they are and um the true leftist thought while it is wrong in my opinion is is more worthwhile has more contributions to society and was was more of something um than the current left wing and i found that that was very interesting especially because the president who is a president of a marxist organization voted for donald trump particularly because he knew that a victory uh for hillary and a victory for biden is a continued death of the the left if he wants the true left to come back you need these people, you need people this who are guy on the sounds right. fascinating. Yeah, I he's a, he's a great guy. Um, and you know, I I haven't talked to him in a while, but a great, great guy. Um,
0: this is making me want to try to find some good, like, my problem with communists is There's some communists who are like this tankies, like boss, who you know, aren't really, I wouldn't even say as a communist. Um, and then you get like, you know, these people, you'll know, describe me, And I actually, like, no, I could probably talk to this guy, and have a good conversation. It's buying those blossoms in the,
1: you know, that is most communist online. Yeah. I mean, another, another communist that I think has like worthwhile contribute contributions online, um, would be, uh, infrared. He's from that meme, the, the Mongoloid meme, the, I am a Mongoloid. That is what I am. He he's from that. Um, and that's from his debate with a neocon, uh, which was r- really great. The whole thing. Um, cause it, it's part of this strain of thought. Oh, the British empire will come back. The British empire will come back. Um, we need the British empire to, so we can invade other countries and civilize <laughs> them. It's foolish thought. Um, and the British empire, I think has done more harm than good overall, but, um, he also debated Vosh and other people, and he's got a lot of interesting things to say as well. Uh, he actually put me on to reading some Hegel, um, and particularly some ideas of have developed about the master-slave di- um, master-slave uh, dialectic, mm-hmm. which he brought up in his Vosh debate because he was saying Vosh is like. Um, a controlled opposition leftist because he votes for Biden and he he votes for mainstream Democrats and he doesn't realize that politics is a a battle between masters and slaves and you have to be willing up to put up to put your principles and everything on the line to sacrifice them at the altar um, in order to achieve victory and he's saying Vosh is not doing that by voting for Biden which is and he's, he's true. right.
0: I mean, everything you just said, I mean, I could make that same argument for my hobby. Like, hey, that's interesting. I'm going to look at it. What's the name
1: of that? It uh, infrared. 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 let okay. I mean, uh, like that down. There. Yeah, Infrared is his name. And, uh, he yeah, he debated Vosh. Um, I think he voted, debated Destiny, too. Uh, and I think he may have debated Hassan. Or Hassan talked about him. Well, that's uh, the trinity that. of Quinn's left. ran away. Oh, Yeah. Um, I mean,
0: God, I uh, yeah, uh, you that I'm waiting for my drink.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of the few left wing YouTubers that I think actually produces good content. Um, the vast majority of left wing YouTubers are these controlled opposition left wing YouTubers. Yeah. So, and
0: uh, if you, if you say, if I you say if I say I have uh, if all my friends are, my light here, that, okay. Um All my friends, IOL well or how to put this um i understood them better after reading suicide West*. if that kind of puts you in a mindset of where these kind of what kind of people these are um all one of my friends is a libertarian but he's, a, but he's in positive rights. so it's kind of like oh, oh no um mm. but it's like actual i do know if like um i would say what actually if they were actually left wing i feel like they were actual you know he you're, you're describing i would have fun with these people you know, but instead, I'm having to I'm having to say that, no. If you took your ideology seriously, we'd agree on sex. Um, yeah,
1: no, it, that's for sure the problem with uh, most of the left today is that they're not in, left enough. <laughs> it's just hilarious it, to say that, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, it, it is. That is the problem: is that they're they're not left enough. Um, so. <laughs> I, I don't know what the solution is, is because I'm not in the business of wanting to save the left. Uh, but there are interesting people who are trying to do that. And uh, there
0: are like, the mainstream people who want to save the left, is like Eric and Brett Weinstein. And it, they think about the left is if they're embarrassed by it. And it's. Just, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, that like, I'm, I'm not looking at that. Like, just save the left ideals and these people. Okay? I'm after reading suicide the west and feel like I actually understand the liberal mindset more. I kind of want to go deeper into some other left wing people. We like, read, read, read more left wing stuff because uh, my podcast this is all right wing books. Uh, I got a, bunch, a stack of like hardcore paleo right wing books. And for half the year, I might particularly happen to do a bunch of hardcore Marxist left wing books and have a like, split year. <laughs> it's has been be a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I highly suggest um reading left-wingers um, there's only so much you can delve into though um, at Where until you get to them repeating themselves or the ideas just being complete garbage um, like for example I think it's only worthwhile to read like one crop book book mm-hmm. um, and that's Conquest of Bread and that book's terrible Like even just from a writing standpoint it's not very good uh, but you get that window into, um, really the modern left in general too. Cause I think he helped define the modern left a lot, um, into basically being these people who, who react to, to things that are bad and, um, just whine about it and get really utopian about it because fundamentally he is a utopian and, while he claims to be a continuation of Marx, he's more of a continuation of the utopian socialists of it, mm-hmm. um, who are were complete whack jobs. Um, some of the craziest people ever. Uh, Mises you, they tend to have a lecture that mentions that stuff, and it's really good. I think it's on the history of economics um, with Salerno. So I suggest taking checking that out as well. Man, you've fitted
0: up my notebook here. I want to get <laughs> I, I, I,
1: legit, I legit have to go to a
0: new page it's also because I, I write gigantically
1: but yeah i i i do a lot of reading and and watching around to, and i like to just reference those sources then try to butcher explaining them to other people Same. a lot of the time so um yeah I, I i can give resources after resource for plenty of stuff um yeah, it's
0: like, talking to, it's like talking to the last page of a book where it's just auto citations.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, I tend to accrue citations a lot, um, because I, I like to have them for, for future reference. So, um,
0: this is, this is actually one of the reasons I buy, buy books,
1: uh,
0: instead of listening to audio, you know, Kindle. I got to I remember, a few months ago on Twitter. I was debating some guys from the Claremont Institute about Thomas Seltzer's book, and it helped to actually have the book in front of me, and not have to go online try to find the page number to make my argument. One of the only reason I buy books. I I have an audiobook of I have an audiobook of this one. I'm gonna I own a copy just so I can cite it later and that kind of stuff. So it's it's good to have those kind of. like access to citations, you know, Most, mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with like your arguments or just down on reasons. Um, I, I see that some of people not to have sites for things and so I, I, I understand it
1: get it. Yeah. So, so something that I, I get I'm, a lot of shit a lot whenever I post my bookshelf online because the first thing people, their eyes are attracted to is the Ben Shapiro books I own. <laughs> I own some Ben Shapiro books from that phase. Oh, uh, I
0: got a, where's it at? Harris America and Treaty Steps right,
1: right <laughs> Yeah, I, I so I own um bullies and primetime propaganda, and I, to, not, I didn't
0: mind primetime propaganda from my web, yeah, it online. It's definitely points,
1: so so yeah, they're not bad. Um, they're not, I wouldn't say they're great, but they're not bad in the points they make. But the reason I keep them is because Ben Shapiro is really, really good about accruing sources, specifically sources from left, from left wingers. And he allows left wingers to make his point for him. Um, And, you know, these particular topics, it's, it it really helps because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are just saying, oh, you're, you're fear mongering about um, Hollywood being full of leftists or whatever. And it's like, no here's from the Hollywood leftist's mouth. It is left wing and um there are there is a lot of debauchery and and degeneracy and disgusting things going on and unethical uh, practices that really have been ruining um the medium in general specifically Dude, with film.
0: I was just watching like you saw peacemaker. like the uh the that one pissed me off. I have never seen a show. Wait to the last episode to subvert it, you know. And it, it sucked, I felt calm, they sucked me into promoting the show. I took my friend, like, it's not that left wing, it's not that you know, it's, it's just, it has its points, but it's not too hardcore progressive. You can enjoy the show, not be like being lectured to. And in the last episode, it made me feel guilty for supporting the show.
1: Hmm.
0: It was it's clever, I can't not respect it, but I hate it.
1: So, what Peacemaker showed to me is, is that a trend is brewing. Um, specifically among comic book uh, adaptations, that they take characters that were villains in the comic books and then flip it on their head and and make them the good guys to commentate on some kind of socio political um, issue from the left. Mm-hmm. So the first time I can really think about it happening was with the scrolls and Captain Marvel. Um, the mm-hmm. scrolls are. Bad guys in Marvel. They're 100% bad guys. They were created to be bad guys. They do bad things. Secret Invasion was all
0: about the main bad guys. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. About them wanting to take over the earth by, you know, subverting it from within. Um, Like stereotypical bad guy stuff. Mm -hmm. They were sometimes made to be somewhat sympathetic, but like never that they were good. Yeah. But Captain Marvel changed that on their head and said um actually the scrolls are the good guys and some people are like oh but they made uh, they made the kree bad um good guys the kree were always bad um so that's not right but the the dichotomy and what was an interesting relationship between the two in the comics is that both of them were bad and they were both fighting each other while also fighting earth Mm -hmm. and but they decided no nope, too complex actually <laughs> scrolls are refugees which they are refugees in the comics but of, they're still an empire they're not yeah. they're not you know they're only refugees in the sense that their original planet was destroyed they still take over other planets they still have other c- colonies um but no, now they're completely refugees and they're just coming to Earth to, to be safe and they want to make peace and all this mm-hmm. all this crap. And it was obviously to comment on the refugee crisis and um, uh, a place I used to work at called 71 Republic, which was a alternative media site. Uh, somebody wrote a really great op-ed on how it kind of mirrors the Israel-Palestine issue. Um, but I, I don't think it was based enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, but now, with Peacemaker, we have the same thing with Butterflies. Butterflies were villains. They wanted to take over Earth um, by controlling all the humans. And uh, they were doing the it to
0: help us, because we, we we take, you know, actions that help our health as attacks on our freedom.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it, it, so it, both commenting on COVID and... Climate change because they can't popul- decide which is worst or what and populist leaders.
0: You listen to populist leaders instead of the experts. They literally said populist leaders instead of the experts. That was like, like I don't, I never seen one go that out wide with like modern times. Sounds like a colleague like, never seen two years ago go that direct with a modern times commentary.
1: Yeah, it it's, I'm actually even surprised they said the word libertarian when they said total um, fascist libertarian idea. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Cause, cause libertarian never gets thrown around ever. Yeah. Like even, um, uh, you know, Ron Swanson, who is the famous libertarian yeah. in media, not once in parks and rec, does he say he's a libertarian or anyone say he's a libertarian? Yeah. No one ever says that. Um, he just says things that are vaguely libertarian and, and content, but with peacemaker, you know, Again, we're seeing this thing of we're gonna comment, we're gonna turn villains in the comics into actually they are doing good, but Peacemaker somewhat redeems itself in that um, it just says, "Oh, that's great and all, but we're gonna still kill you anyways," which I I liked, but (laughs) combined with the other ideas, it just it was a it was very muddled episode. if they if they didn't push so hard on the ideology on it it could have worked really well mm-hmm. and if what i thought was going to happen was when um i don't even know how to pronounce her name but amanda waller's daughter mm-hmm. um when oh, she goes back know. to her apartment uh that somebody was just going to shoot her for uh you know like exposing task force x and that would have like really made the show a really narratively and thematically interesting show rather than just vague yeah. commentary on climate change and COVID and all this bullshit. Um, and I'm really unfortunate that they did that.
0: That's so far, until that last episode, the show was even until that, until that scene, until that one scene, the entire show was like, for me, nine out of 10. Like I was loving it. He yeah, I, like, he
1: was I, great. I thought it was really good, and a part of that, though, is I really did love um the suicide squad from uh last year that came out in August that Peacemaker did. It was really good, uh, but that,
0: Even that had, became a victim instead of a, a
1: bad guy, yeah. Star Starro became a victim in that, that was another example of it, and also that movie kind of messed up its thematic themes with its ending too. So what I thought was going to happen was that at the moment when the villains uh, are like being told by Amanda Waller, all right, your mission's done, go to the LZ. I thought, okay, they're going to go. They're going to go, they'll walk off. They have no reason to stay. They're not good guys. They're bad guys. These are people who are in prison and are doing a illegal classified mission. Um, and then, you know, what would have, my dream would have been is that inter- spliced in the credits would have been footage of the Justice League fighting Starro. Like yeah. this is now a Justice League problem. Not, that God would have been actually been really, that would have stuck to it this thing set up and not come to heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it would have, it would have been thematically interesting too, to <laughs> explore that. About like they might be doing good things, but at the end of the day, they're not good guys, and they're not—they're not heroes. They're not sac- they are sacrificial pawns for people who think they're doing good things, who mm-hmm. think they're the good guys. And that would have been something interesting to explore, but instead, they're just like, okay, now they're just going to be functionally superheroes. Yeah. And it's like I—I—I I, I
0: did not like how they turned Amanda Waller from a. Con- I- Amanda Waller in the first two of saw, I was better. In um, the second one, they made her like she was bleeding from her teeth and screaming. That didn't seem very Amanda
1: Waller. She seemed almost a joke at sometimes. times yeah. um, Like the best wasn't Amanda Waller was Justice League. Uh, Amanda, was, like, yeah, I the mean guy. the point of Amanda Waller in the comics and in other mediums is that she is supposed to be the personification of of the deep state, really, of of, of unchecked governmental power. And especially with intelligence agencies, uh, but she basically became the butt of a joke yeah. in this one. And then also they made the the intelligence agency people also good guys, uh, except for Amanda Waller. She's the only really bad one. The rest of them are good. They're they're good people. They're just in the wrong field. You know, it's like that's foolish. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah the movie. I again, I, I I really liked it, and then. My my main my main complaint of the whole film was they killed the best character in my opinion for a cheap joke. They they uh, people haven't seen it. I'm gonna spoil it. They killed off uh polka dot guy polka dot man. Yeah, he had he had a he had a kill off that was completed. And you're like I want to see where they go with this and it's, it's his hero moment. And instead of actually you know letting him live or have a hero moment, they killed him for a cheap. Oh no. Anyway, like why? why?
1: Yeah because he he was actually the only one where it made sense that he stayed mm-hmm. because um polka dot man was a villain not by choice but by circumstances and he wanted to be a hero and mm-hmm. is but he was conflicted on becoming a hero because that's what his mom wanted for him and then he finally gets that moment and then they kill him
0: for no reason but stupid zill
1: it and I think it's because Hollywood doesn't want to have true heroes anymore. Doesn't it? Doesn't want to have true heroes, but it also doesn't want to have complex heroes. So now we just are left without um, the kind of great action that we used to have, um, that was actually interesting and more mm-hmm. than just explosions and and. It, Hit that marker in your brain and have that serotonin spike. Uh let me ask you, what's your take on the new Batman film?
0: Is it gonna be good or is it gonna be uh gonna have all the same problems? It's gonna be flashy, but lack any substance makes you want to go back to it.
1: So Robert Patterson is a really, really good actor.
0: Yeah. Anybody um, listening doesn't think so. Watch like The
1: Lighthouse. The, the Lighthouse um, and Good that. Time. Watch watch <laughs> both mm-hmm. of those movies and realize that he really escaped the twilight um the only one you know, just, like,
0: escape twilight.
1: yeah it all yeah really the only one to actually escape it and he's a really good actor um and i think he could really be a good bruce wayne and i think this batman could be good but honestly I'm i'm not like i'm not doomer about it but i'm not like yeah. excited for it. If it, it's good, it's it somehow escaped
0: the Hollywood complex of doing things.
1: Yeah, um, I, I hope it does. I
0: really hope it does. I wanted to be
1: good. Yeah. Um. Though there's a lot of like behind the scenes news that I've been following. That is like, it's not necessarily concerning, but it it, it looks like that 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 shooting uh, is gonna is been hell. Um. Mm. To summarize it, the director. Has reportedly said that he will never work with Robert Patterson again. Um, mm-hmm. He's probably not going to work on the other Batman movies he said he was going to work on. And also, uh, apparently, the Robert Patterson and the actress with Catwoman had a very inappropriate relationship and mm-hmm. uh, conceived on the Batmobile.
0: <laughs> okay, so all the all the problems. Uh, he's playing Batman, and I feel like he missed it. I was messing acting. Man, yeah, is, I have to say, sexual marriage as well. I'm a Catholic, that is wrong. Also, do it on a battlefield with Atlas Catwoman, I guess a nerd, I can't be like, I really can't say too much about it. You know, I'm a yeah. nerd. I have to kind of be like, you can go, well, man.
1: Most of these, some of these things are only at the rumor stage, but they're coming from people who work on set. Oh. So, okay. you know, there, there's a decent chance that all of this happened. And it would be in character for everyone involved, mm-hmm. um, who's but yeah. Who's, who's,
0: who's Matt Reeves
1: in it? Uh, Matt Reeves is the director, if I remember correctly. I can... did... I'm trying to say I know his
0: name. What did he do? I can't remember what
1: he did. Uh, you know what? I I'm going to check because oh, um, I swear I remember he he did something, um, that it kind of mm-hmm. was like this guy's directing a Batman movie. Okay. Uh, oh, you know. he did
0: He did Planet Apes.
1: Oh yes, he did the. Hey, hey, the he did of Apes. Of oh, hey. huh. Okay, this guy's got more. Um, he's got movies. Yeah, uh, I. I wow. He's not a nobody. He's not a nobody, and that's um, a pretty good list too. As Probably. somebody who liked Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I think it'll be. It has a chance to be good. Not amazing, but, but good. I think Andy Circus's uh, outfit, okay. outfit
0: is going to be really good. I
1: think
0: he's going to be a standout. Um to my earlier it was books. You oh, mentioned Vince Hero books. What is the most cringe book you have on yourself? Oh,
1: wow. Um like, I bet you one. I could top it. So one book so there's a few books i have in mind uh one is i have a copy of the book god's not dead and the reason for that is because he act the author came to george mason one time and um marcel who you've had on um (laughs) who is vice president of the secular student alliance at um george mason He went to go debate that guy and he did for about an hour or so. He actually recommended him human action because he thought human action would make his point for him, which it would have. Um, But the, the the topic was, is God real? That's the Mm -hmm. funny thing. Um, And so I got a free copy of that signed by him. Um, I have a book that my dad gave me when I was younger. Uh, called the pickup game, uh, and it's supposed to teach you how to uh, pick up girls. Um, I I'm just my, uh, less, like, I need do for the book club. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I wouldn't suggest it honestly. Uh, I I didn't use like any of that advice, and I've haven't had too much of a problem with my dating life, or at least getting a girlfriend. That is, um. Though I am single now, if there's any females listening to this, this dude is a
0: libertarian podcast at eight o'clock, and we have to There's no females listening to this. It's a yeah, Friday night, More than even a podcast. More
1: than... <laughs> even even when I had a libertarian girlfriend, she wouldn't even live in, listen to my libertarian podcast. So uh,
0: that's what you want. You want my libertarian sequel to Listen to your podcast, yeah. Because my see, in the most expensive book I own is I have a signed copy of uh, Sean Hannity's book on on the war in Afghanistan.
1: Really? I stole it from,
0: <laughs> I stole it from a, a playground. It was uh, you know it was like leave book take a books? I mm-hmm. stole it and I was like nine. I was like ooh I walked in with my grandpa grab, <laughs> and uh, I still haven't read it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's actually I think it's right next to uh, some of my stuff. It's right next to Enough Already by Scott Holman.
1: Hmm. well i can say something i am i am embarrassed by the lack of books i own is um i don't own many books on theology despite the fact that i am have a very increasing interest in theology, uh, books of on theology? um well there yeah, is the problem the problem with it is that they're very expensive and thick books because i think Anything written by a saint is worthwhile and definitely worth reading. Um, but they're usually very... Expensive. Yeah. Is this. yeah. Is um, and, and Aquinas and... Aquinas and um, Augustine, even though they're Catholic saints, are very good like political theory reads too. Oh, yeah. um, but a, a book I really suggest... Uh, for people that I had to read for my catechism uh, is called the mountain of silence. And it's a book that is simultaneously a book on history, um, political philosophy, and then also theology all from the context of Mount Athos, which is a monastery in Greece. Um, But besides that, the only other theology book is I own is one book from Aquinas on prayer and contemplative life. And a book on parish etiquette for orthodoxy. Um, otherwise or and also I own a copy of the Bible. Um, and then God's not dead, which I don't really consider. Uh, and then Bible. I remembered I actually own a book um, it's it's a book from the perspective of Islamic theologians, but on like modern issues.
0: Um. Man, my problem is finding theology books. you find ones that are at the popular level, what's like interesting, but aren't really in-depth, or you find the scholarly ones that you can't understand because it keeps on that. Like, that's my problem with Catholic like, I keep like I have a really nice theology book on a like, cryingness of love the Bible. And the mm-hmm. guy as assumes you can read Latin and just plugs it in, no problem. I have to, like have Google Translate and take a photo of it like translate. And so it's it's all good books, but finding ones that you can actually like digest is challenge.
1: Yeah. I I think a good rule is and this is my priest's rule is if it they don't have st in front of their name or they're not a priest it's probably not worth your time. Um and I think that's pretty accurate. Uh even for saints that, you know, um we don't recognize and even for priests that we don't recognize just because It is their job to know these things. Um, They may be wrong about things, but at least they can have commentary on it. Um, it I would would make one um, is like like reading economics books by non-economists.
0: I would like one amendment for that if you're Catholic. Uh, I cannot recommend enough Scott um, Scott Hahn. Scott Hahn's books. Uh, He is a professor of the it, and I think he... Um, why not being a, a priest has raised four. Uh he's he up about how funny that have to call his son's father because he's you know priesthood. Um but uh it, as, 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 lay, as lay people go who are going to commentate on things, he gets for me he gets a pass because he was like friends with the Pope. So it's kinda like, okay, you, you wrote and the Pope has wrote assimilation similar race in the physiology. You kinda get a you kinda slide into that door, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, uh, I think I think there are some exceptions to the rules, and from what I've heard of Scott Hahn, he's definitely an exception to the rule. Um, so, yeah, I I don't think it's a like a set in stone rule, but yeah, it, I think it is a very good, especially if you're just getting into it. Um, it's better to read the church fathers uh, and hear it from straight from the horse's mouth rather than. You know what people who are trying to sell you something are saying because they don't they didn't none of these books were written to be sold uh particularly because there was no market for them the only people reading them were monks yeah pretty much um
0: so where were we at we have movies before we had movies we were at y'all you're, 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 you're talking about y'all some uh, young americans for liberty stories Let's, wrap, let's,
1: let's go that. Sure. So, as many people know, they're with Yale right now. Um, there's a lot of controversy over it. I just had Reed Cooley on, who was the former vice president of communications, I believe, if I remember correctly, which I, I knew Reed beforehand uh, through Yale. I used to be an employee of Yale um, about a year or two ago um, now. And the main controversy with Yale right now is it, it begins back in spring of 2020, I believe, uh, when Yale 2 happened. Basically, Me Too for Yale. Uh, a bunch of people came forward and said that they were um, sexually assaulted at Yale events by Yale people, um, which I don't think is entirely not possible as someone who's gone to YAL events, it's not like, and it's not because there's something particular about YAL uh, that would increase sexual assaults or the culture of YAL. It's, it's a campus organization. Um, unfortunately, this is what happens. And I never looked into whether or not these allegations were true. I never looked into it very much because I didn't want to get wrapped into it. I was already not an employee of Yale, So it wasn't, that big a deal for me in the sense of, like, I'm not going to dedicate so much time to discussing this when there are other things that are, you know, I can actually do about. Because my position at the time was this is an internal issue. Let the board of directors handle it. And I was confident because the founder of Yale was really a Ron Paul guy. I mean, Yale used to be students for Ron Paul when he was running for president. So flash forward a few months later, um, Cliff Maloney, the former president, is let go. Uh, I think another person, I think Justin Maloney was also relieved and he was like a vice president um, because of these allegations. And they installed a new president who is named Lauren Daughtry. She used to work for Nick Sarwark. She was a big member of the LP of Texas. Um, not a great candidate at all. A lot But um, people were pretty confident it wasn't going to be that big a deal because it seemed her approach was to step back and let the people who had been there go and kind of just be a figurehead. And it almost seemed like a PR stunt to like, mm-hmm. we just had a big problem with women. Let's put a woman in the shoes and, you know, try to ease this, this PR nightmare. Um, but then Lauren began giving orders on messaging that really watered down the messaging a lot, really brought it down, complaints about stuff like, let's not criticize Kamala Harris. She is the first woman of color vice president. Um, oh, killing civilians in drone strikes is rare. We shouldn't bring that up. We should, you know, be honest or... I really think Liz Cheney is brave for all this. And it's like people in Yao were having that problem. Uh, The structure of Yao, who was hired, was changing a lot. A lot of people were getting hired from LP of Texas. A lot of people she knew. And Yao kept changing and changing and watering it down. And then it came to a head when Reed was fired for not performance reasons... Uh, bought because of these messaging conflicts because she thought the messaging was bad. And what we know now is that it was upheld by the board of directors, including the founder, um, which means that even he is compromised and that really it's a problem of Yale is is broken from up, down, all the way down. Um, I still have friends there who are great people, um, and I would never disparage them. But as far as I can see, YAL is pretty much a lost cause unless it can radically change itself, and I don't see that happening. Um, but, you know, some of these problems you could see if you were a member of YAL or really involved before. Uh, our George Mason chapter got in trouble uh, for some messaging, I don't remember the specific comments because I'm no longer at George Mason's, so I wasn't there when the comments were made. But we got a ha- uh, an order handed down from National that we couldn't say that we needed to delete those tweets because they were too extreme. Um, so and and I know plenty of people who left Yale over these conflicts and have problems with it, so yeah, I think Yale is... unfortunately declined because it really was a great organization an organization where all the different strategies and projects of libertarianism could thrive and actually succeed. And um, I would before this whole thing with Reed, I would have nothing but glowing things to say about it um, and really encourage people to join it and get involved and, um, you know, contribute. But now I cannot, in good confidence, um, support it. I cannot, in good confidence, tell other people to support it, and that's a shame because it really did a lot for me, and I and I did a lot for them, um, and I that is unfortunate to me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm new to
0: space, and I didn't, I didn't know who they were until maybe at that Liberty event in Florida, maybe a few months ago. That's why I found out who they were, like one Paul showed up or something.
1: Um, yes. Um. So Yale had when I started going doing Yale stuff, mm-hmm. Yale cons there were multiple a year, um, and then they changed it starting with 2020 that they were just going to do one big convention every year. And 2021 was the first time they actually got to do that. Mobilize, which was going to be 2020's event, got canceled because of COVID. Um, And that's actually when I quit. Was around Mobilize, uh, just because I I could not do it. I could not meet the demands that they wanted, um, and do everything else I did in my life. And but they got they were successful with Revolution. And from what I hear, it was a very successful event. And did a lot for us But the problem is I don't think they're going to replicate that In the future now um, who They're definitely not going to get uh, People like Jeff Dice to come They're not going to get people from the Mises Institute They're not going to get people for like Ron Paul They're not going to get Daniel McAdams um, They're certainly not going to get Thomas Massey And these are their big names um, Because they've alienated them And they've alienated the movement And that's unfortunate.
0: No, that does, that's, that because it's,
1: you need, we, already, we we need all the
0: institutions and anything we can, you know, we have losing one that was actually good. Like, first of all, a good libertarian institution is already whale and then to lose one of the good ones when things are really like, the things the things are going to pop off next election. We're so pissed that with Dave from they everybody doing the same the end group popularity. Things are going to pop off next election and they'll lose an institution two years sort of that. They're going to, it sucks. It
1: really does suck. Yeah, I mean, so one of the big questions I got after doing the episode with Reed is, well, what do I put my time into now? Um About that. And my answer is I'm not sure. I can give you a few suggestions, but I can't say with full confidence that they're the right way to go or they're the thing to do. I support them, um, even if it's only tangentially, but... So Free State Project, Free State Project's been enormously successful. Um, They've got a good base. They're doing good things. Um, GOP Mises Caucus, I think, is on the right track. I don't know many of them personally, um, but they seem to be on the right track for doing good things, um, especially on a local level. Uh, Make Liberty Win, um, which is somewhat of a branch off of YAL. Uh, they seem to do good work and are continuing what YAL did best, which was getting state legislators elected who were libertarians. Um, not libertarians as in the Libertarian Party, but just you know, ideological libertarians regardless of party affiliation. Um, and then uh, there's an organization starting called Mises Youth that could be promising um, but other than that, I mean, the if you want a really for sure thing that is good, donate to the Mises Institute. I yeah. donate every month. I donate five dollars, which is basically what I can do because I'm a college student. But I donate that much. Um, and a lot of people don't realize the Mises Institute has a big impact, especially in other countries. Uh, and they actually get people elected in other countries. Um with their other, their other branches. I think Brazil is a place they're actually really successful in. And also, just like they provide free resources, the amount of free resources they provide. For example, like um, you can get yourself a free copy of Economics in One Lesson, or you can ask for a whole case of them, which I did. Pass them out. Yeah, I, I pass them out. Um, I've actually given away, I think, all but one of them now.
0: I, uh, I have two left. I have uh, I have one plus copy. And I have one more, one figure out,
1: but yeah, and even even that goes a long way. And mm-hmm. they're very, very, very supportive of the movement in so many different ways, academically, practically. and um, so if you absolutely need something to give money or time to um, that's a libertarian cause and you want one that's for sure, the only one I can give my glowing recommendation to, because I know personally, is the Mises Institute.
0: Order more, please," says Emil Habian. Uh,
1: <laughs> I do plan to order another case um, because uh, I was able to give them out at my parish, and it was pretty successful. And I was able to nice. give them out at my college Republicans, and it was pretty successful. And so I want.
0: My parents are sort of eighty year olds so I, I'm not. I don't. I don't know if they can read anymore. Um, so I'm not. I'm not going to. But um, not everyone listening in Like I think so, Bishop said at once. Like imagine giving money to the libertarian party. To give money to the Institute. Just give money to the Institute. They support them. They are. They are literally the best institution. I would, like the two institutions that I, I respect. It's a institute and the Council of There's The only two institutions yeah. that exist that I actually respect. And I guess I don't know how to. How do, classif- how do I classify how I classify all the Orthodoxes? I know there's a bunch of different like hubs like I don't know. I don't know how y'all branch out your
1: say I so it w- the easiest way is to just say Eastern Orthodox, I would say. Um that's the term that is all encompassing for the most part. Um some people like to also say OCA because OCA is Orthodox Church of America, but OCA is Somewhat and somewhat not its own sect, so there are OCA churches. Um, but you know, really, the difference between an OCA church and an e- a different ethnic church is that an OCA church there isn't enough ethnic people in that territory to create a specific ethnic church, so they all just I've branch. A one. lot of I about it seems
0: to be ethnic. Uh, I don't know, and dumb because autism is like you know, you Roman Catholic, you used to write Byzantine, that kind of stuff. Orthodox is more um, ethnic based, whereas it's like this, uh, yeah, so like, how does that
1: work exactly? So basically, um, a lot of the conflicts between different Orthodox churches are very much ethnic based and come from their culture. Um, and how their culture interprets certain ideas about christianity and so that's where most of the conflicts come and then some of them are completely invented uh like the conflicts between the russian and the ukrainian churches are almost entirely fueled is a is a petty rivalry fueled by the state (laughs) department and then all honesty um just as the, the the conflict between Ukraine and Russia is the same way, it's you know, it's a, just a petty rivalry that is being inflamed by outside sources, um, when really they're not different in almost any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that. It, it, Orthodoxy doesn't have as much a problem, though, with not cooperation between the sects. Like during Pascha, which is our Easter season, we have um, pan-Orthodox services, which are multiple churches doing one service together. So, And it comes from all different denominations. I think the only de- Orthodox denomination that we're not in communion with and therefore don't do that with is Coptic Orthodox. And I don't remember the reason why.
0: You, you um also doc, you guys stand during the uh, mass, during the services. Is that right? I want to say somebody
1: else. Yeah, we stand for the majority of it. So, the rule that I have been told by an older member of the church is um, when the gate um, is closed, you may sit. It's not encouraged to sit, but you can sit during that. But when it's open, you must stand up. And you must stand up during um, when the Eucharist is being given. Mm-hmm. And so that's how our services work. Sometimes also we do prostrations um, at specific parts during it. So you get on your knees, you bow down, get back up, and do it again.
0: But it's sales or do you guys – I saw some photos of um, notes not. So still, I was like,
1: it, dude, I just need to the It depends on the, the church. Some <laughs> churches have pews. Some churches have chairs. Um, some don't have any anything to sit down on, but a lot have been trending towards having somebody sit down because a lot of older members and they just they have to have a place to sit. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're not we're not completely rigid and an un-, un understanding of people's circumstances. It's just we try not to let the the exceptions dictate the rule, yeah, which I think is a problem and. Other Christian sects, particularly Protestant sects. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's uh, we gotta have a we, we need to do a, once you uh f- once you're fully in Orthodox, we gotta do a podcast on uh, a Catholic Orthodox take on Protestantism. You know, we do a not not, not too hard going thinking, but more just like a, a where we think that. Cause I, I I have friends, who, uh, people text me, but hey, what is exactly difference Catholic and Protestant? And I'm like, how much time do you have? Like, and so this, this
1: is very. I, I think honestly uh, someone who would be better for that mm-hmm. is um, Buck Johnson had on a light, longtime mentor and role model of mine, Father Ignatius mm-hmm. um, who is the husband of my old debate coach. And uh, he is someone who I can connect you with, who I think you really should have for something like that, because he, uh, if I remember correctly, is a former Catholic priest and uh, also Anglican, some I think priest um, who converted to Orthodoxy, and he's episode with Buck. Is a must watch. I think in terms of podcast episodes, like Buck did a really great job ha- having him on and also just asking him questions. And I mean, he's Father Ignatius is great. I, I love that man. Like a father. I watched the
0: podcast; good. They yeah, he's
1: yeah. a very cool guy. Yeah, he he is. And um, I, I I just it was funny too. Like right after that episode came out is when I went and saw him. Uh, when I went down to Texas for Christmas. So, um, yeah, great guy. I highly suggest watching that episode. I mean, I suggest watching Buck's show in general. Buck's show is pretty yeah. good. Um, he's a, he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. But that episode specifically, if you're not going to watch any of other Buck's episodes, watch that yeah. one.
0: Uh, one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach out to a few Catholic tweets that all. Are... Uh, Dominicans get them to come on with some Aquinas books. Like, I have, a, I have a policy no Aquinas books, if I'm talking to a Dominican, and no Mises books when talking to a Mises Institute scholar. Those are my two requirements. I wouldn't want to have on, you know, the guys who represent those books best for those books, you know?
1: Yeah, that, that that's a good tactic because, especially with Mises books, because um, Mises Institute scholars can have read these books so many times, most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, that having anyone else, you'd be doing disservice, and I think the same is true for theological books, um, with priests and and monks especially. Um, one thing that who uh I know we mentioned earlier, uh, Jay Dyer does well is that he has a lot of priests on, and he has a lot of monks on, um, because he's able to find those who are willing to go on, mm-hmm. uh, despite my problems with jade dyer which you know i can still enjoy a lot of his content but i think he's too abrasive when it comes to theology and acts too much like an authority when he's been orthodox for five years which you know um the the rule is typically you're not like a, an experienced orthodox person until you've been in orthodoxy for 10 years um so
0: yeah i i I've tried to watch some of his content, um, but I watched him do some debates and when he cuts the guy off doing like a like the guy's doing his closing statement, he cuts him off in a closing statement. I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm out. I I don't wanna watch I I just Yeah, you know, this of all the time to cut someone off, the conversation's ending. You wanna inject more stuff during his time, I just made me immediately lose all that. Okay, no, I I, can't. I don't wanna yeah,
1: associate I will say sure he got good content. I'm sure he's
0: got good content I'm that many subscribers, but I just
1: can't the best of jay dyer's content is um film commentary actually there's mm. really good film commentary into the themes uh especially his eyes wide shut video which was uh referred to me by a friend really great video um and a really great analysis of eyes wide shut which is also a great movie i've never so, seen it it's it's really great i It's by Stanley Kubrick, the guy who did The Shining, which a lot of people don't realize. Stanley Kubrick was a pretty libertarian guy in a lot of ways, and his films reflect that. A lot of them do. Um, Like Paths of Glory, Full Metal Jacket, uh, Dr. Strangelove, all really good anti-war films. Though I have somewhat of a criticism of Dr. Strangelove in that he's really critical of nuclear weapons and the existence of them. And I believe in nuclear proliferation. I think more nukes actually is a good thing in the Mm -hmm. terms that, uh, Mm -hmm. countries and entities that have nukes don't go to conflict with each other like ever, and actually are encouraged to reduce tensions or ease tensions at the very least. Um, but Kubrick disagrees
0: and I mean, it, that,
1: we, that's really got me the options we're not getting one of these things. Yeah, because well, no Ku, 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 Kubrick was somewhat of a utopian when it came to nuclear weapons, hmm. unfortunately, but that doesn't make doc that doesn't make Dr. Strange love any less great than it is, um, which is another film I really, really recommend. Um, I recommend basically all of his filmography, at least what I've seen. Uh, except for Lolita. Don't watch Lolita. <laughs> it's not very good.
0: I don't think I've seen you know, I, I don't think I've ever
1: seen a movie directed by him. I, you guys know, are all movies. I don't think I've seen a single one. Really? Most people have seen at least um, The Shining or 2001 or a Full Metal Jacket, but that's interesting that you haven't seen any of them.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, oh. I wasn't allowed to watch anything growing up, and so my movie tastes all That's fair.
1: So like now I'm
0: actually able to watch movies. I just saw American Psycho for the first time, and I'm like, okay, I could get into these kind of heavier movies. I, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna try. I I put in my every, every month to get together and watch a watch a fancy Oscar based film, and so I might add those to the list.
1: Well, uh, I I need to do some self promotion here, and that uh on my Substack the last actual article I wrote uh, was a list of films on liberty war in the state, uh, which is a reference to a Mises Institute uh, list on the same topic of films that imbue ideas on liberty war in the state. Um, that from a libertarian perspective, or at least that you can come out of with a libertarian perspective, um, I suggest every one of those films on there, a lot of them share uh with the list the Mises Institute list, but I added some stuff that uh they didn't have that I think really ought to have been there. Um especially some more like art house films. Uh because I'm somebody who has seen quite a lot of art house films and uh, you know they there are some su- are a surprising amount where they're actually really libertarian in th- themes. Um and it's a list I plan to continually update as I watch more films. There's a film cool. that I need to finish right now that I started last night that I'm probably going on the list called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, about um, a group of British POWs in an Imperial Japanese pre- prisoner of war camp that is really, really interesting and explores the different ideas of honor between the two groups and when it comes to war especially. Uh so expect me possibly expect a review of that up um within the next few days and also that list to be updated.
0: Sounds good. Well we will be going for about an hour and a half. Uh man anyone listening, uh make sure you go subscribe, we'll plug your stuff and I'll give you a little sound out. What we'll we'll do you find you at?
1: sorry i my audio just cut out for a second so also,
0: I, I i was uh, stumbling all about instead of me so that's good like, um where can people
1: find you at oh so uh you can find me at uh repeal the 20th century on youtube repeal the 20th century on spotify Repeal the 20th century on odyssey uh also at repeal the 20th on um twitter and uh if there is any uh, I also have a Facebook page a Substack Substack's repeal the 20th century as well same with the Facebook page um there is also uh, some people asked about uh they've found an Instagram called repeal the 20th century uh that's true that used to belong to me it still technically belongs to me but uh it's an account I did with my uh, ex-girlfriend and she doesn't have the login for it so it's just kind of gone yeah <laughs> so but yeah uh all the platforms I mentioned I'm active on to some extent and uh, you can find my content there
0: nice. well everyone listen make sure you go check on his content because the um, best way to describe his show is he talks to really smart people about really smart topics <laughs> and so uh, definitely check it out because it's uh it's, it's fun to listen to a podcast where you know you're talking you – know, you know you're listening to people who are academics who have added saying Like you said earlier, added sayings to the world of libertarianism. It's not just some – good, smart, good smart people on Twitter, but it's like a, this is a guy who went to school. This is a guy who's added saying, This is a – and this is a serious in, a intellectual. And so definitely check out his content. I really enjoy it. So uh, favorite episode he did, though, was we'll just Pete us. He was not you – know didn't want a book or any this, but that's still a great episode. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah.
1: Anything you want to add before you, uh, before you dip out? Um, I'm just going to put out that tomorrow I will have um, an episode out with um, Christoph uh, Christopher Hansen, uh, who is an economist from Leipzig University in Germany. Uh, to talk about fractional reserve banking. Um, So, expect that out tomorrow. He wrote a really great article at Mises about uh, it in the Rothbardian view. And then next week, my interview with David Friedman. And the week after that, um, my interview with Jeremy Kaufman.
0: So, I mean, people, tomorrow's episode on fractional reserve banking. I, I don't even know what that is. So, definitely go check it out. Uh, everyone, oh, it's a great time. Everyone, have a good night.